نشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الوالي الكريم وصلى الله على أنبياء أجمعين والمسيح والمحسي والمجدد لمن مرسلين أما بعد Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it? And that He is alone and has no part? And that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sustainer of all the boundless universe. All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend. And send salutations of Allah on all of His prophets and His apostles and on the Messiah, the anointed one. And on the Mahdi, the God, and on the Mujaddid, the Reform, which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. The man of the hour, airing seven days a week at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On WGAG Radio. And now, the true life, featuring Ex-Sayyid Imam Isa Al-Hadi Al-Mahdi. Concerning the ancient Egyptians in terms of, the, uh, in terms of their religious wisdom, I was wondering how they came up with ideas such as the soul of a man being the life force, uh, one supreme eternal life energy being. Because? The word Egypt today was not the original name. The word was Mizraim, which is the word Muslim in Arabic. Mizraim, as you know, was one of the descendants of Noah, from his son. Correct? Yes. And they brought the teachings that Noah had from before the ark over into Egypt. Nothing unusual. That's why the stop they say in ancient Egyptian book of the dead, we find story of creation and story of the flood. Yes. Read the Bible, you find out that Noah's descendants, Mizraim, his son, Mizraim, Cush, and Ham migrated into Africa from Asia. And Mizraim is Egypt. That's what it's called. Egypt is Mizraim in Hebrew. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it's not unusual for them to have the doctrine. They've always had the doctrine of monotheism there. It was the influence of other cultures that made them sell out. The same way the state says, listen, take the Ethiopians now. Right? They're being converted from Coptic Christianity to Pentecostalism. Why? Because they're starving to death, and the Pentecostal come in here and feed them. And food converts people when they're hungry. They come in with this food and medicine, and they just convert whole countries and histories with thousands of years of culture into the new Pentecostal church and have them almost worshiping Jimmy Swaggart. That's what they do. And that's what they did back in Egypt. The invasion of richer cultures when Egypt was going through its drought period, and it's going to be going through another drought in the next five years, when it was going through its drought period, it caused them with their guard down. Different invasions of Hittites and other tribes influenced their culture. Okay, my next question is, um, you said that you got the Sukhuf out of the, uh, one of the secret chambers at the bottom of the pyramid. Is that correct? No, it was given to me by a man named Mahmoud who got it from the Bible. Yeah, I was incorrect. I'm sorry. You said the Sahuf was in the uh, sacred chamber of the pyramid when Noah's flood took place? Yeah. So my question is if that the Egyptians are the descendants of Noah, how were these pyramids built prior to the flood? So the pyramids were built by extraterrestrials. Okay. Not by men. Men assisted them. And they have found mummified 
extraterrestrials. They found them. You know, they did have them. It's nothing new. The British Museum has a lot of things that they don't even bring here. And the Canadian Museum has one also, by the way. So what was the purpose of the um, extraterrestrials building these pyramids? They were schools. The pyramids were schools of thought, where they taught. The masses met there. And those, all those pyramids are linked around the world. They're magnetic centers. Each pyramid creates a magnetic force field to charge ships that pass over, which we all refer to as a flying force, we call stopping fire. Right? It's yeah. fire by it's charge. That's what the Bermuda Triangle is also a school. And it also has a permit of electricity to charge the ships. That's why they always find UFOs hovering over the pyramid or over the Bermuda Triangle or over large places where there's a lot of electricity to charge themselves. Did they teach men? Yes, they taught men. They taught Nubians. Yeah, they taught them eye operations and brain operations and things that modern-day scientists are confessing existed in Egypt before they knew anything about it. They're saying, now we know that these Egyptians and these people in Africa were doing great surgeries and having tools to perform brain operations that we just got into this year. how they do it? Well, they were taught by extraterrestrials or far more advanced than mortals on Earth. Were they taught religious wisdom also? Religion in what respect? Because Al-Islam is more than just a religion, it's a way of life. Yes. In respect of um, the oneness of Allah? That's emphasized. That point is always emphasized. The elders are called the Elohim. So they had that knowledge prior to uh, Noah. Trillions of years before Noah. This planet is a planet of babies compared to extraterrestrials from other galaxies. No, I'm not talking about the extraterrestrials. I'm talking about the people that were taught by the extraterrestrials. Oh, yeah. Yeah, before Noah. So there are actually two sources of the religious wisdom? Oh, they're all the same. Because Noah was visited by extraterrestrials. Okay. All right, I have a question on another subject concerning Canaan. Was Canaan born with a soul? Yes, he was. At what point did the white man lose their soul? Well, Canaan was not a white man. Canaan was a black man. He was albino. He was albina, we call him. Okay. They got up into the mountains, and they was born their soul because if you read the book, you find out that some of the 200 fallen angels came into Canaan's 11 sons, not Canaan. Mm -hmm. When his wife and him fell out conceived, their sons were possessed of demons. It was at that point that they were sold. Okay, thank you. My question is, if, if our purpose is to get back to the state where the Creator wants us, why are some brothers and sisters not being able to see the truth? Don't want to see it, don't want to hear it? Because the devil did a real good job. So the devil is the one who put the veil? Yeah, the devil has done a good job of, of making them want to be what he is. And he's a failure. Every one of his societies always looks rich, but it always fails. Rome, Greece, Mesopotamia. And this society here is beginning to fall apart. The interior is falling apart now. Watch the news. So our people are afraid as men to stand up on our own and build our own nation. We're just afraid to. We've been living under the white man so long that we feel comfortable under his arm. We're afraid to stand up on our own and go for it. And we can do it. So it's the white man that put the veil on, on, the, on the eyes so they won't see or hear the No, truth. Allah comes upon Allah, Allah, Allah will seal anybody's heart who seeks disbelief. If you want to find a reason not to be a Muslim, Allah will help you not be a Muslim. I see. If you want to look for a reason to say, I'm going to find fault in Imam he'll help you find fault. I'm going to find fault in the community, he'll help you find fault. If you say, I want to find righteousness in a person, he'll help you find righteousness. If you look at a person and say, I want to find good in that person, he'll help you find good. If you look at that person and say, I want to find wrong, he'll help you find wrong. You can do it. Shukran. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I have one question, and it's on a, a verse 
in a portion of the Quran where uh, Allah commands a people to be as apes. Can you give a, a definition or an explanation of that? This quote is talking to the children of Israel and it says that because they violated the Sabbath, right, that they shall be as swine and apes. And that's because in ancient Israel, you remember Jesus, he used to cast demons into swine. You follow that? In ancient Israel, the symbol of the ape and the swine was always a symbol of something possessed by a demonic thing. And he was telling the children of Israel, because they violated, maliciously violated the Sabbath, they will be cast down to the level of swine and ape. And that was a curse that was placed on them, which manifested, that's like we were talking about earlier, in their curse of leprosy. See, people think the Sabbath started with Moses, and it did. The Sabbath is back in Genesis, when he says, and on the seventh day, Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, ceased from creation. He didn't stop and go to sleep like they say. He ceased from creation and then evolution or things evolute into place. And that day, that seventh day, is the seventh thousand year of creation. We are only in the sixth thousand. When the six thousand years of the devil's rule is up, he got his curse before that. And he is like the swine and he's like the ape. That is him. Um, in regards to that previous question about, on the quote, Magnuman and all those different um, types of so-called um, pre, pre prehistory. Right. Um, how do you explain the different artifacts and you know, people that were found? Like, not people, but you know. I don't bother to. See, the difference between me and most people is I don't bother to explain them because of the fact that I believe in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran. So I'm not looking for a reason to believe what some white boy in the 18th century named Darwin said. I'm not interested in what he said because I already believe in the Quran. Now, I've written a book about it and I've attacked the subject for those people who have a little bit of faith trying to strengthen their faith. Personally, I'm not the least concerned with their findings. Because I know the white man made the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, and inside the caves it looked real to me and you. I know he can take all kinds of things. He made the mummy movie. And we can forget while watching it that we're watching the movie. And you personally have never seen any of them, personally. And if you did, you didn't have the knowledge, because he didn't approve of it, for you to be able to analyze them yourself. So all we have is his say-so, right? So the choice is between, do we listen to what this white guy in the 18th century says, or do we listen to the creator of the heaven and the earth? I prefer to listen to the creator of the heaven and the earth. So therefore, I don't even put myself in a position to analyze stones and rocks as our descendants because the Quran doesn't go that way. The Quran makes it clear that Allah created us. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And when we start to probe, we're showing doubt on Allah. When we start saying, well, maybe it's true, then we have to confess we're not Muslims then. We're still not Muslims yet. Because when we become Muslims, we no longer question or doubt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any kind of way. And if he didn't say that, then it don't exist. He says he created man. So that's what it is. Him, that's how I look at him saying. Every man has his own right to look at it his own way. I look at it as Allah says it in the Quran, and that's what it is. Because I don't doubt the Quran. And the moment I start to question it, then I'm no longer Muslim. Because the Quran says don't doubt it. Assalamu alaikum. I understand from reading some of Imam Easton's pamphlets that the Gospel of Barnabas was excluded from the Bible because it had too many truths in it, correct? And the other day I bought this book from um, one of the brothers, this Gospel of Barnabas. And I read in here that um, before the day of judgment, there's going to be 15 days where there's a sign for each day. And afterwards, like, after he explained that what was going to happen, he said on the 15th day that the 15th day the holy angels shall die and the law alone shall remain alive.
to whom be honor and glory. Is that true? In the book of Revelation, when they say we're going to wipe away the heavens and wipe away the earth and bring in a new heaven and a new earth, correct? Mm-hmm. It also says every man must taste death and then he will return to us. You see that? Mm-hmm. Every angel and every man's light will go out that the only light that shines on Yawmut Akhri is the light of Allah. And then those who will be rekindled with light will be by the leave of Allah. So the answer when they say the holy angels will die is to say that the light of the angels will go out just like the light of the souls of every man will go out on the last day. And the only light that will shine will be the light of Allah. And then he will select those people that will come back to eternal life. Awesome. That's why they say wipe away the heavens and the earth. When they say wipe away the heavens, they say, like it says in Genesis, and, and the hosts of them. When it says, and now the creation was finished, it's all the hosts of them. Uh-huh. Well, that's angelic beings when their creation was complete, and then the creation of man. Okay? So when the Lord says he's going to wipe away the heavens and the earth, all the angels and all men must bow. Everything must bow on the last day. Mm. I oh. have another question, Art. Um... And also in the same book, I came across a couple of things that was confusing to me because I don't know. First, let me make it clear to you that that is not a copy of the real book of Barnabas. That is a poor translation, but a lot of it is they do have some facts in it. That which I can answer, I will. But we are taking it from the ancient Arabic and putting it in English slowly but surely. But there's so many books for one person to write. <laughs> you see, it takes a lot of time. I have a lot of people working with me, but I still have to proofread and research every individual thing. So I may put preference on a subject. I started doing the books of Barnabas. I have like four volumes out. Then other things, questions, stirred my attention somewhere else because I tried to write books according to what y'all need to know. Okay. So is it okay if I ask these other... By all means. But if it's something that is not, you know, not, not translated properly, I'll just say it's not translated properly. Okay. Um, also in this book it says, if you don't mind me reading a little bit of it, uh, Jesus, peace and blessings of Allah be upon, was telling his disciples that the faithful, it says right here, but the faithful shall have comfort because their torment shall have an end. And the disciples were afraid of hearing this and said, so then the faithful must go into hell. Then he went on to explain whereas that they would be in hell for a little while and that the message of Allah, which is Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he's going to ask Allah this. He's going to say, then shall his messenger speak to Allah and say, Lord, my creator, remember the promise made to me thy servant concerning them that have received my faith, that they shall not abide forevermore in hell. And Allah shall answer, ask what thou wilt, O my friend, for I will give thee all that thou askest. Now, Muhammad will say, then shall the message of Allah say, O Lord, they are the faithful who have been in hell 72,000 years, where, O Lord, is thy mercy, I pray thee, Lord, to free them from those bitter punishments. Is that true also? See, here's you got to understand. When you read Genesis again of the Torah, you find out that you have sun, moon, and stars as signs of seasons and times, correct? That is in the earth plane. That has to deal with earth. When you step outside of the earth realm, then you're not governed by the same time laws. You understand? You say, if a person says, I live 76 trillion years, the joke is, you don't know whether they mean 76 trillion years of your time. That's the first thing you say is, 76 trillion years by my time, 76 trillion years in an extraterrestrial world could be 30 years in your time. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because as you break the speed of life, time goes backwards. When you get outside of the Earth's atmosphere, the time system is totally different. 
the further you get away from your sun, where you go into other galaxies, like the galaxy I come from, where we have more than one sun, then our time system changes. Y'all have one hour per day, and we have three hours, three simultaneously clocks going at the same time, three sets of seasons going at the same time, depending on what galaxy you come from. Y'all always tend to base everything on yourself. Mm. All right. All right. Thank you. Um, I have another question, if I can ask, right? Like, I remember in one of your books you were saying when, uh, in the scrolls, when Allah commanded the angels to come down and from the clay make man. Now, I, I remember reading that the clay, well, the dirt, rather, the earth, like, asked the angels to desist from this purpose. Now, what I want to know is that being that we're made from that dirt, are we in, like, in sense or some kind of way crying out like he did in the beginning? Very interesting point. You know why? Because I've been trying to tell people for years that nature is your worst enemy. Your body tries to get sick. You understand that? Your body tries, you will, your body will pull you down the stairs if you're not careful. It will, your intellect will force you to step on the gas. Your soul yearns to be released from the prison of the bacteria of the body or the clay. And the clay is living cells of nature. That's what they speak about when they say that it, that it spoke towards the law. Every cell in your body is alive. Nature is alive, grass is alive, soil is alive, all these things live. And these things are bacteria that are plaguing your soul. What do you think you feed? You think you feed your spirit? You feed your body. And you will eat bad food knowing that it is bad for your stomach. You will drink sodas knowing that it is bad for your system. You will smoke ganja, smoke marijuana, taking drugs knowing that it can kill you. You will do these things because Nature is man's worst enemy. Nature is not man's friend. Nature is constantly trying to return man to the earth. You understand? Mm. And that's where man makes a great mistake in thinking that nature's on his side. This is what makes you get up in a high place and that flash goes to your mind. I wonder how it would be to jump. But if I tried to push you off, I couldn't do it. Yeah. But the flash does come to your mind. You look around, you're driving your car, there's something that makes you say, ah, a little bit faster. You get there a little quicker. And mm -hmm. you start That's increasing in speed. You forget that you're driving a two-ton piece of steel and glass. And what would happen if you get into an accident? This is nature trying to end your life. So how do we, how do we fight against this? The too? thing is, it is not a part of you. Oh. If you want to see the real part of you, tomorrow morning, when you're washing your face in a mirror, stop and stare for a little while, and you'll begin to get this feeling that the real you is looking from the inside out at the body. Talk to yourself, and you'll make that distinct separation between you and the fake you. The real you is the soul, the fake you is the flesh. Stand in front of that mirror and look at your eyes, look at your nose, look at your mouth, look at your ears, look at your skin, look at the growth of your beard if you be a male. And stare, and stare, and eventually the question will come to you, which one is the real me? The one looking out or the one the one looking out is looking at? When you make that distinction between that soul and that body, then realize that if you did a scale, you do more for your body than you do for your soul. You're feeding your body, dressing your body, plucking your eyebrows, combing your hair, parting your mustache, you stand in the mirror, brushing your teeth, grinning and checking in, looking at little pieces of cabbage between
in your teeth. Everything is the body. What do you do for the soul? Someone comes on and says, pray five times a day. Wow, that's a whole lot of prayer. Yeah, eat seven, eight times a day. I mean, I watched the person try to, you know, the new bags of potato chips are made so you can't open them. You have to put it in your mouth and rip it with your teeth. You no longer can do it with your hands. You know that, right? Years ago, you take a bag of potato chips, you go rip and you open it up. Now they got this made out of this new kind of plastic that you can't even open. Correct? So you got to really fight to get to this bag with this. You gotta, it really stirs the animal in you. Mm. All of it for the pleasures of yourself. But how much do you give to Allah? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. When a person says, can you pray five times a day for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I work. I'm on my way. I go to school. In school, you make time for lunch. At work, you make time for lunch. But when it comes down to the worship of Allah, all of a sudden, you don't have the time. Mm. Can I, look, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, finish. People pray over their food, even. Oh, God, thank you for the food. And then take it and adulterate it with hot sauce and ketchup and peppers and all kind of stuff. <laughs> then they thank it for it the way it is, and then they add all the poison to it. That's nature trying to destroy you. Believe me. Go ahead. So I want to know, like, like, do people actually, uh, like, talk to the devil inside their chest? Do people actually do that? No, the we... devil talks to them through inspiration in their chest. The devil is the one that makes you put that frown on your face because he convinces you that that will protect you from people. And we actually answer him back and oh, stuff? You, well, you answer the devil in your actions by carrying out his desires. So, in the... You know, let me tell you a story about men. Mm -hmm. I'll show you how the devil works. It's a good time to do it because summer's coming. The three men stand on the corner and they're talking. They're holding a conversation. All right? They're supposed to be righteous men. They're standing here talking about the Quran or anything. And down the block, there's coming a girl. She has on tight pants. <laughs> These three men, watch their nature, how they change. Now, all of them see her coming from the right. One guy alters his position so he's facing her coming. And his conversation continues so he can look directly at her without pretending he's looking at her. You understand? That's one guy. The other guy, for season, alters the conversation about women so they all will look. The other guy waits for her to pass and says, just look at that film. So he can turn around and look. <laughs> you see, the devil, on the other hand, used all three of those men, three different ways. They all answered the devil's call. One of them was direct. He just turned and looked at her and then made like he wasn't looking. The other guy got everybody to look. The other guy made it look like it was such a disgusting thing to look at that he had to point it out so that everybody would see it. That's how the devil works. The devil just puts up signs and we read them. Your father? Yes. That's his job. The devil is not going to make you do anything. He'll put up the sign and you'll read it and follow. So that's why he's a master of commercials and advertisements. That's his thing. So in like manner, do like the, the seraphim or the good angels, people as yourself, and others, can they speak to us too when we relate back to them? They sometimes? do. And they're the ones that makes you see a white woman in distress 
and you step above your narrow mindedness as a black ex slave and step for the helper anyway, because it's right to help her. Mm. Not because she's white and not because she's black, but because it's right to help somebody in distress as a Muslim, not because they're Christian, not because they're Jew, but because as Muslims we are Abdullah. We are servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have an obligation to all of his creatures. That's when angels are speaking to you. But when you say I'm a black Muslim and I'm a white woman and I don't care if she suffers, then you're acting like the devil. You understand? Mm. And many people be, who are righteous become the devil because they think they're so righteous until they start doing more to work for the devil than Allah. I'm so right and everybody's so wrong, I don't realize how wrong I really am. Many people deceive themselves into evil. So does that mean that we help uh, we help anybody that's in distress as Muslims. Oh, uh, so do we help Satan because we probably like keep the good angels from speaking to us every day? Do we actually help him fight them all for something or how come they don't speak to us more? Because you don't open yourself to them more. Because you don't call on the citizen until you're laying in a hospital bed or until you're in a prison cell. Or until things are going wrong in your love affair, or someone in your family dies, etc., etc., and then you turn and raise your hands to heaven and say, why me? You don't ever hunger when you have a full stomach. But man, when it comes to worshiping Allah and adoration, should always be hungry. So if I hungered more at this present moment, I could actually feel those kind of things. The more you open yourself up to them, the more they'll come to you. They're angelic beings, extraterrestrials, waiting to make contact to guide you. They just ask you, all they ask you to do is stay on revealing love. Stay on the path of Allah. Stay on the path of righteousness. That we don't want to do. We want to shuffle and guide and step on and off the path at random. We want to pick them up when we need them and drop them when we don't. It doesn't work like that. It says, he who the Spirit descends upon and resides with him forever. You know him by that. You see that? Mm-hmm. When the Spirit descends, they want to stay with you. Not like Christianity, where people get the Holy Spirit while they're on church and they go home and curse everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, in Al-Islam, when the Arusha descends upon a man, it is supposed to reside with him eternally. He's supposed to stay in righteousness. Got to learn to live Islam. And, and we have an example in Rasulullah Muhammad, we have his sunnah to follow. The way he did things, the way he walked, the way he talked, the way he practiced. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows he was the best of examples for us. He told us to dress a certain way. He told us to eat a certain way. He told us to pray a certain amount of times in a certain way. If we want that guidance, we have to do that. The same thing as if you want to become a doctor, you got to pass certain things. You got to study and pass certain things in school, right? If you don't do it, you won't become a doctor. You can walk around and call yourself a doctor. And there's a lot of people walking around calling themselves Muslims. If you're not wearing a veil, you're not a Muslim. If you're not wearing the sunnah of Rasulullah, you don't have a beard, and you're not doing, if you're not doing the things that Muhammad did, I don't care who you are, what country you say you're from, you're not Muslim. You have know You have to do what Al-Islam calls for to be Muslim. If you don't, you're not Muslim. Look how bad you feel. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I was uh, reading a book, and it was uh, referring to light. And it said that light is invisible, but how, what we actually see is in terms of solid liquids and gases. And uh, I was just uh, 
trying to, you know, I was wondering if you could explain uh, something of that nature because you were saying I wanted to taste that once you could see into the uh, etheric realm of existence that there's beings that's all around us but we don't have, uh, we haven't, you know, they have to incarnate for us because we're not able to incarnate them. And uh, I was just wondering if this is why, because... Just a minute, because you're overweighing yourself for no apparent reason whatsoever. <laughs> just turn the Holy Quran to the second chapter. The 255th verse, which is called Ayatul Kursi. And in it, it tells you that you can't see life. Allah, la ilaha illa huwa al-hayu qayyum. Allah, nothing would exist, exist, if it wasn't for Him, the living power, the living strength. You understand? So the word exist means what? To be. That's right. Allah, la ilaha illa huwa al-hayu qayyum. So life can be seen because life exists. And he separated this form of life from himself. So they're not talking about the type of life of Allah. We're talking about the life that Allah brought into existence. And if he brought it into existence, it is perceivable. Okay? Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I would like to address this question to uh, Ali Namisa. Now I would like to know why is it essential that one must move into the Nasara Allah community in order before the year 2000? Unfortunately, because the scripture says we have to, <laughs> because living together with people who have not been groomed to live together is a very difficult task. But in our scriptures, in the books of Revelation, chapter 11, it says, and they were giving me a reed, like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the haikan, which is the word temple, of Allah, which is what they have, of course, God. And the altar, and what's the next one? And then their worship therein. What's the last two words? There, therein. You see that? Not outside. People say, well, the temple is in my heart. Yeah, but your heart is inside you. So that can't be saying that. As long as I'm a Muslim in my heart, that's what counts. It doesn't say that. It says, have yourself counted with those who are inside the temple. And what does it say about the court? The word court here in the language is dar. Dar means abode or place of dwelling or the place of dar you're in. And what does it say next? But the court, which is without the temple, those people who are outside of the temple, what about them? Leave out. And? Measure it not. Why? For it is given unto the Gentiles. And what does Jesus call the Gentiles? Snakes. Vipers. He told his disciples, don't teach the Gentiles. Don't number them with the righteous. That's why. Not because we like living together, that's for sure. Because we have our hard times. But because the scripture tells us we have to. Well, one of my questions is, why is Barack associated with the devil? Because the white man, as you know, spent a lot of time doing stuff like this. What's a devil dog? A brown piece of cake. What's devil food cake? 
chocolate cake. What's angel cake? White cake. Why, what, what color suits the bad guys wear? Black. What color suits the good guys wear? White. What color suits the doctors wear? White. What color suits should they wear when they get dirty? Black. I mean, they spent a whole lot of time making black look bad, and that's all part of brainwashing of this Western world. And the first and most important thing is, watch this. Ready? Let's take a Chinaman, correct? The Chinese worship Buddha, right? What nationality is Buddha? The statue of the Buddha is what? Chinese, right? So the Chinese are worshiping a Chinaman. How about the Indian? Krishna. What's Krishna what? An Indian, right? The Indians are worshiping Indians. The Red Indians are worshiping Red Indians. Eskimos are worshiping Eskimos. We're the only ones that worship a white person. Everybody else in the world worships somebody their own color. You understand that? That was a form of brainwashing. And if now, if Jesus is God and God is white, what are you? in their doctrine as a people. See, if Jesus was white and he's God, then, and we're black, what must we be? We must be the devil. This is subliminal brainwashing to suppress us as a people so we can't see our way to heaven. We can't even construct a mental tower of Babel to get back to the Father because we're God. We're the lowest of the low. We're nothing. We lived in Africa and we walked around naked and we ate people and one white guy named Tarzan came over to beat all the animals and beat all the Africans in one fight. This is subliminal brainwashing. It must be uprooted. The white man perpetrated that phoniness about black <laughs> being ugly and evil. Uh, the question about, I guess about maybe about two and a half months ago, uh, someone asked the question about shaving. Uh, I know I, I shave because of this job I'm on, and I probably wouldn't have a job if I didn't shave. Uh, then it's wise to shave if you need your job to survive. Allah does not have compulsory in being. If, you, if that's going to deprive you from supporting your family, you follow? Yes. Then shave. Allah knows that. Okay, uh, but the question is, uh, why uh, isn't a Muslim supposed to shave? And if, uh, from, from the outside, that last time, uh, I say a razor is not to be placed upon your head or your face, then, uh, that wasn't from us. I don't know who gave you that answer. That ain't one of mine. I mean, because you shave, I use a razor when I shave and trim my bed. I don't know where they got that from. Okay. Right. <laughs> that answers that question. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. I trim my bed. I keep my bed because the scripture says, do not mow the corners of your head. It tells you to keep a trim from a bed. But it, it was in my cheek, side of my cheek, I do shave out to here there. Uh, I used to be a student of Dr. Ben, and I'm sure you're familiar with him. Yes, and uh, he'll be working in Cairo, and it's going to surprise a lot of people to find out that he's becoming a Muslim. They're going to be quite surprised that he's converting to Islam. He's going to be working at the University of Cairo. Right? Uh, you're talking about Dr. Ben Zuckerman. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Dr. Ben Johannes. Yes. The yeah. Person. He's getting ready to become a Muslim. That's <laughs> a great thing. Okay, uh, well, uh, in, in, in times gone by, uh, in one of his lectures, he did say that Islam and Christianity was brought onto us by the sword and the gun, and I would like to uh, have a better understanding of that. Sure. If you ever read the fundamental histories of Islam, you'll find out that before Muhammad left in the year 622 to go over to Medina to set up the community, he was the one being beat up. They didn't spread Islam by a sword. They were being beat by the Meccans and all the tribes who was in Arabia just because they were trying to teach the word of Allah. 
They wasn't fighting until after they got to the city of Medina and became a strong community, and then they wanted to come back to their own homes in Mecca, and that's when they started engaging in fights and battles with their own tribal members who were trying to suppress the propagation. Muslims didn't set out to war. See, here's a perfect example. The Crusades, where was it fought? Was it fought in Europe or was it fought in Jerusalem? It was fought in Jerusalem, right? Yeah. So the Muslims were home, and these people came all the way from Europe over there to fight with them. Yet they say the Muslims spread their religion by the sword, yet the Christians left Europe with swords and came to Jerusalem to fight Salahuddin. The Prophet Muhammad was in Mecca, trying to teach the religion of Abraham. The people started beating on them, they stoned them, they put a bricks on top of Bilal, Rejilah, and who, you know, they persecuted them. They were pushed out of their houses, left their families, and moved to another city where they were welcome, lived there, then built a strong party of people, and came back and took over Mecca. And then they said, they spread it by their sword. They never thought about how they were getting beat up in the beginning, like me and you, right? I, I, you beat me up every day when I'm little. I leave and go and train myself and come back big, and I hit you back. Oh, he's violent. They forget that you were beating me up all the time. You caused me to go form an army, you see? And that's how they interpret Islam as being spread by the sword. Nobody is more violent than American Christians. But people don't understand when America goes to a country like Vietnam, they're going in the name of Jesus Christ, because they're trying to spread Jimmy Swagger over at the same time they're trying to take the country. Christianity is the most violent religion in the world. Everybody on the news that you see, even Romney and all of them people, are all Christians. Reverend Sharpton, all Christians. The guys trying to persecute them are all Christians. Christianity is a religion that spreads itself by the sword. Uh, something, uh, if you look around in here, uh, um, like in some Christian churches, if uh, you listen to a preacher on the radio, it says, uh, Bring all the sick, bring all the, uh, the, uh, the old people, the people in wheelchairs and um, uh, walking with canes and on crutches and all that. And uh, I know we have brothers and sisters out there who are in crutches and uh, wheelchairs and all that. And I don't see any of the brothers uh, that are out there uh, spreading the word uh, of Islam, approaching these people. Uh, I don't see any facilities in here. For these people, what if these, should, these people should have a desire to join into the temple or become Islamic? Uh, what are provisions for them? We have people who come in here. We had several families who brought children in here who were considered crippled and couldn't walk. And after being here for a couple of months, we're walking in place. We don't put up that we're no healers because that's not what that's not what the mission is. The mission is to teach the word of the Most High, not to heal people. However, if people need healing, they can be healed. But that's not, I don't stand up as a faith healer, putting on hands, jumping around and all that kind of stuff. That's a big old act to get people's money. And I'm saying, I'm not into that. I'm into teaching people the truth about Allah, the oneness of Allah. That's it. And if they got faith, their faith will make them whole. Any man gonna, he gonna do this, he just said, watch out for people coming like that. They're gonna, they're gonna do so many signs and wonders that if it was possible, they'd even fool the elite. You gotta be careful of them, because it doesn't work like that. Okay? Right. And it is facilities there for people who need it. My question is about the pictures that I see around and the pictures I see in your books, right? What is the significance of including the pictures with the word? That's a very good question. The pictures you see on the wall is real important because if we don't do this, he's gonna write them off as white. The way he does all other black men's pictures, he distorts the pictures and gradually alters the way they look. Next, you know, they're real. Everybody's real light skin. The same way they did the Cleopatra movie and the Moses movie. And people now think Charleston Heston is Moses. 
and they think that Elizabeth Taylor is really what Cleopatra looked like. And so what I did is, and you happen to be a child that was smart enough to pull the pictures out. 99% of them are so afraid to touch the Bible, even in that state, that they'd never do that. And they start looking at those pictures as they read the Bible and really think that Jesus lived in the village and had a beard and looked like a hippie. They start getting that white Anglo-Saxon hippie image in their mind of what God looks like. And being they tell them that Jesus is God, you know what that means they think they are? When they look at the mirror and they see a black face, they think that they see themselves as the opposite of white. If they teach you that white is opposite of black, then God is white, then what must black be? The devil. So what I've done is said, like me or not, I'm going to start putting images of black people in the books regardless of what anybody says, so that the children that read it start to see Moses and Jesus and Abraham and Yusuf and all the people of the scriptures in their real shade and color. The men on the wall are put there so people can remember these great men of our history. Because the white man would love for us to just knock Marcus Garvey and Noble Drew Ali and Honorable Elijah Murray. He'd like to lock them out of our history, but he makes sure me and you remember his history. Because if you reached in your pocket and took out a dollar bill, you'd be looking at a part of his history. And he makes sure we had our face on George and, and Abraham and Jefferson all day. He makes sure of it. So I'm not going to be fooling enough myself to say it's not important to me, I'm saying. When I think a physical impression in the mind is important. What a person thinks things are oftentimes has a, a way of affecting the way they react to things. Mm -hmm. I mean, people because see a white guy with a beard, they start little black kids saying, oh, Jesus, mommy. What? Oh, shit. My bad. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> to see Moses and Jesus and Abraham and Yusuf and all the people of the scriptures in their real shade and color. The men on the wall are put there so people can remember these great men of our history. Because the white man would love for us to just knock Marcus Garvey and Noble Drew Ali and Honorable Elijah Murray. He'd like to lock them out of our history, but he makes sure me and you remember his history. Because if you reach in your pocket and took out a dollar bill, you'd be looking at a part of his history. He made sure we cut our face on George and, and Abraham and Jefferson all day. He makes sure of it. So I'm not going to be fooling enough myself to say it's not important to me, I'm saying. When I think a physical impression in the mind is important. What a person thinks things are oftentimes has a, a way of affecting the way they react to things. Mm -hmm. I mean, people because see a white guy with a beard and they start little black kids saying, oh, Jesus, mommy, walking to the village. And the mother has to say, no, 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 that's a hippie. And that shouldn't be like that. You know, yeah. it's interesting. It doesn't mean anything, but I agree with you in the sense that there was a certain um, hypnotic um, brainwashing that we've all been under as a result of, of his nonsense, all right? Oh, yeah. It's got to be sort of cleared, removed, yeah. all right? So when, by whatever means it has to be removed, I'm, I'm all for that, all right? Okay. Um, the other thing is this. I, I have absolutely no complaints about Ansar Allah, all right? From the first time I walked on this block, all I felt was love from all your people. When I come into the place, I only feel at home, all right? There's no other place that I've been between New York, Jersey, Connecticut, upstate New York, North Carolina, Florida, Texas, that I felt that way in, all right? Thank you, that's a compliment. Now, the other thing is that I, I want to come in, all right? I don't work for... A, I have my own, my, I do my own thing, it's more or less freelance, right? There's a number of things that I do to take care of my responsibilities, right? But I don't refer to it that way. I feel that he does certain things through me so that the things that I need are always there. 
Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I have two questions. The first is concerning how we'll be judged on Judgment Day. Uh, my question is, what difference would there be between, say, a grandmother that died 40 years ago versus someone who is on the street, has seen some brothers with the books but never stopped, and also between a person who might come here to class or even live in the community, how, what difference would there be in their judgment? A grandmother who was here 40 years ago before the truth hit the shores, right, will be judged by her own, what do you call it, her intentions in life, not by her scriptural law. 99% go to paradise automatically because they're going to be judged by how they believe as Christians, not how they, how they believe now that the truth has come. You follow that? Yes. In that which they did, you can tell. A person is a good, good Christian because they didn't know Islam. They just know that if they had been Muslim, they would have been good, good Muslims. So they're judged by their heart. That's right. Now, a person who walks the street, sees righteousness, knows it's right, and doesn't accept it, is called in the Quran a kafiruna one who conceals what they know to be true. The translators maliciously translate that as disbeliever. There's no such thing as a disbeliever in the Quran. It's kafirun, from the word kafir, to cover or conceal something. This person in the scripture is classified as like the devil. And the scriptures in Revelation says, we'll be cast into a lake of fire along with the devil, there to abide forever. So those people who see the truth and stall or maliciously turn away, they will be classified as devils, and their abode will be what you are calling hell. Hell is just an script, a way of describing torment, and the torment one will receive is what they think they should get, because you are your judge. And as gross as you think hell is for what you've done, that's exactly what it'll be. Hell is like your nightmare, your worst nightmare. You create the nightmare, you talk to yourself while in the nightmare. So when you know right from wrong and do wrong, whatever you think hell will be, it'll be that and some more besides. I'm sorry, I was just wondering, if someone just sees, say, a brother on the street, and they see him dressed in the white, but they don't know what it's all about, they're totally ignorant to anything that has anything to do with Islam, and they pass by, would they be considered a captive because they no, don't take the time? they could be. They'd be judged by what they've done. Only once you know the truth, once you've opened the books and read it. That's why, that's why the first thing said to Rasulullah Muhammad was, Iqra, read. Read. First thing Jesus told in the books of Revelation is he sent this book and signified by his angel. And those who read this book, he says in the books of Revelation, you see that? And understand this book. So the thing is you must read to understand. So those people who do not understand will not be judged as sinners. They'll be judged by their morals, by their own intentions in life. Okay, so if I'm on the street or if there's someone that I know personally that I'd like to try to uh, let them know a few things, maybe suggest to them to read, and they just don't want to get into it, what would happen at that point? I mean, is it just over at that point? They're just judged for whatever they know. You are, see what happened is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of all the people in the world, made it possible for you to be in the presence of that person. Do you understand? Yes. So that person is being warned. And they're going to be judged then. 
You are the one. See, that's why it says in the Quran, Muhammad is a, a witness over you, and you are a witness over each other. Each one of us, once we know the truth, become a witness, a testifier like Jesus John said, I testify of Jesus Christ. That's what he was talking about. So anybody you try to talk to, Allah sent you to them. And if they turn their back on you, they are classified Catholic if they don't listen. But remember, you have to be in full sunnah. Means full example of what righteousness is also. You can't walk up to them in a pantsuit and expect to convert them to a dress. <laughs> you can't walk up to them with a cigarette in your mouth. You know, like parents tell children, they tell children, don't go in the bathroom and smoke. Smoking is bad for you. Uh, honey, go over there and get my cigarettes off the table. <laughs> you can't do that. You see what I'm saying? So your example has to be right. And when you approach them with the right example, when you're right, then they turn away, then they'll be just. But if you approach them and you're not right, fully, and they turn away, you're the sinner, because you brought to them a non-perfected way. I see. Shukran. Pleasure. Peace. Uh, I got a household situation here. I'm living with a Christian woman, but I believe in the Holy Quran. And our kids, we have four kids, and she's teaching them the Christianity uh, lessons, too. Uh, being that that I'm a Holy Quran believer, and she a Christian believer. What will happen in the future with our relation? The reality of that is, when you say I'm a Holy Quran believer, that doesn't say that you're a Muslim. It just says I'm a Holy Quran believer. And what Rasulullah Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, taught us to do is to convert people mainly by our example. You follow that? The example that you have in that house as a good person, the tenets that you would introduce in that house, the laws on cleanliness or not, not drinking or smoking cigarettes or your good nature will be more influential. There is no difference between a Christian and a Muslim, really. There is no difference. The Christian is merely saying that God came down to earth as a man and they call him Jesus. All right? Muslims are saying, no, he did not. He's always been in heaven. Now, when you eliminate those two arguments, okay, you come back to what do Christians believe? They believe that real Christians now, if you're good and good for people, you'll go to a place called heaven. Correct? Right. That good Christians, you shouldn't get drunk, you shouldn't kill, you shouldn't steal. So any of the Christian morals that he is putting into the child is not going to hurt the child. Your father, and the belief of Jesus being Allah in flesh, as the child gets old enough, or the children, old enough to understand what they're reading in English, they'll see right through it in the Bible themselves. It don't take much. That's why that room is full of people. Because you people in that room are beginning to see that someone told y'all a lie. <laughs> you see? And you start to look at the Bible in a different way and look at the meaning. Don't be all messed up about it and wrecking yourself emotional about it. Be gentle about it. And you study the Bible. Study the Quran, study all the scriptures, respect her for what she believes. You follow what I'm saying? And in time, truth will prevail and false things perish. Right. That's what will happen. Hey! I hope y'all enjoyed that, man. I got some more. Y'all want to hear some more? Say yes. Say no. Y'all want to hear some more? Okay. Y'all you know I'm, I'm actually, you know, striving to, like, Hold on, let me make sure the sound is right first Because you know I'm doing it from a whole other type of receiver so You are now listening to the true light I think this is loud enough 
Okay. And a live question and answer. Let me know if it's too loud on the line. All right, hold on. This shit good, Shawty. This is the be- This is the good one now. This, even though the other shit, it was, it was, but this is. This is dealing with psychic self-defense and a lot of stuff like that. And if you, y'all going to have an issue hearing this first question. And if I'm not mistaken, this woman's first question is um, they are saying that um, you worship Satan or you on that Satan shit. And um, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me play it first real quick so I can know. And then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you all the question first that she asked him. Give me one second. She said, I was told that you're serving Satan. She said, I was told that you're serving Satan. And how can you hate the white people and love black? All right? So that's her question, but I'm rewinding back. So here we go. You are now listening to the true light of Sayyid Ali Mamita Al Hadi Al Mahdi in a live question and answer session. I was told that um, you are serving, you are serving Satan, so how could you hate the white people and uh, not black when God say that He came to save the world? So where does it say in the Bible that God came to save the world? I don't see it. It's not in the Bible. It says right in there that Jesus came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only. It tells you right to John, it tells you the Hebrews. So we're looking at it, it says it. Came to the lost sheep in Matthew 15, verse 10, when he asked what he's being confronted with a Canaanite woman who he refuses to heal. Mind you, Jesus refuses to heal this Canaanite woman. This is what you're saying, God. Yet he won't, he won't heal somebody. Why didn't Jesus heal this woman in Matthew 15? Read Matthew 15, everyone. Verse 21 says, Then Jesus went thence and departed unto the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cried after us. But he answered and said, Now make note that this is what Jesus said. Because this is, of course, in your Bible, it should be in your red print, I think. You didn't read your Bible? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, this is what Jesus says concerning this woman. And this is what he says concerning himself. Go ahead. I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why do people keep saying Jesus is sent to everybody in the world, whereas the Bible right here says he wasn't? Why do they keep lying on Jesus? He never said these things. Christians made these things up. He said he was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel only. So why do people think he's not, he's not interested in the Yugoslavians, and he's not interested in the people in Ireland, he's not interested in people in London, he's not interested in people in France, he's not interested in people in Spain, he's not interested in other people, but the lost sheep. Notice he says lost here. Because he was there standing amongst people who were calling themselves Jews. He was right there with people calling themselves Jews. But what did he say? Come to this, now here, here the disciples are standing there, correct? And these disciples also claim to be of the house of Israel, both of them, correct? But notice what he says about that. What are they? Are they found? Did he say, I was not sent for the Lord, but now found? <laughs> He's talking to them and still saying they're not there. Read it again. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What, he's not sent? They're still lost? Did he talk to them? He knew he was sent to a people that had not yet come. That's why he said in Matthew and John that it's better for him to go. 
Muhammad. And that word that he had was called Kalima. La ilaha illallah. Wahtahu la sharikalam. That was the word Muhammad put forth. That Jesus spoke about. That there is no creator except one. And besides him, there is none. Yeah. 
You cannot bear them now. 
like when Jesus had a message, went into the upper room and he said, Salam Lekka. He was speaking to an individual. In Al Islam, Rasulullah Muhammad, alayhi salatu salama, taught us to speak in plural to address you and your two spiritual guides, angelic beings, as they refer to and say, Assalamu alaikum. Say it. Tranquility or peace be upon you. Let it descend upon you. Or with men, let the Holy Spirit fill you. Assalamu alaikum. Aiden, one more time. Assalamu alaikum. And the answer is, wa alaikum salam. Wa in Arabic means and. And wa alaikum. And upon you, assalamu. Be peace. So your answer to the person is, and may the Holy Spirit descend upon you in peace. So Muslims say to each other, assalamu alaikum. The answer is, wa alaikum salam. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. You see that? A. A is a hard letter and A is a soft. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Everybody, turn to somebody and greet them and answer. Come and don't be ashamed. <laughs> How many people messed up? <laughs> How many people messed up? Let's try it again. Come on, don't be ashamed. Y'all can do it. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. When the brother comes in, he says to y'all, Assalamu alaikum. What are all y'all supposed to say? That's one thing we got right forever, I hope. <laughs>
to write or send questions to True Light, 719 Bushwick Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11221. The public is invited to newcomers class held every Sunday, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. at the Nubian Islamic Hebrew Mission, 548 Hart Street, Brooklyn, New York. People interested in purchasing these pamphlets of peace can visit our bookstore, Original Tent of Kedar, 719 Bushwick Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, or purchase them from any of our brothers and I'm sorry to tell y'all, man. I'm sorry. I played the wrong one, man, about the psychic self-defense. I apologize, but I hope y'all enjoyed the man of the hour. Please exit to the left. Hope you enjoyed your flight. Thank you for flying WGAG Radio. Man of the hour. Ushers are at the doors taking up collections. Now, we'll be more than happy to take the kind that jingles, but we will be happy, exceedingly happy, to take the kind that folds. <laughs> Yeah. 